good tune, a little music of Sondheim. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Always happy to welcome my good buddy, Jay Wynn Russick, our theater critic. Judy, how you doing? I'm doing fine. Glad to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So we're going to talk about a wonderful play uh, by a favorite play my, playwright of mine, Dead Man's Cell Phone. This is a Sarah Rule play, and she writes about, you know, seemingly ordinary things, um, but it's, it's quirky. Um, so what do you think? Does Dead Man's Cell Phone... Uh, have quirky elements, as so many of Sarah's plays do? Oh, it does. It definitely does. And I love quirky, um, for one thing, and we don't need to issue a spoiler alert for this. One of the characters is dead, <laughs> as the title says. I wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is a 2007 play by Sarah Rule. She's, of course, a MacArthur Genius Grant recipient. How quirky are her plays? Well... Years ago, I saw an early play of hers called The Melancholy Play, and in that play, a character turns into an almond. Um, (laughs) There are no transformations on that scale in Dead Man's Cell Phone, but quirky things definitely happen. I'll give you one small example. There's a dinner served that turns out to be a meal of steak and caramel popcorn. Um, <laughs> and yeah. and like that play with about the almond, uh, there is a great deal of melancholy in this play. I mean, thematically, Dead Man's Cell Phone really looks at how we mourn, how there's a tendency to put a positive gloss on the dead, even the lives of folks who were far from saintly. The protagonist in this play is a woman named Jean. She's sitting in a cafe, minding her own business, when a cell phone at the next table starts ringing and ringing and ringing. The man at the table just ignores his phone, and finally Jean gets fed up, and she walks over, and she answers the phone. And then she discovers that the man is dead. But she keeps the phone, and she keeps answering the phone, and she becomes very involved with the dead man's family and with his unscrupulous business. I brought a clip. This is Laura Malkus as Jean. She's in church for the funeral of this dead man, whose name we learn is Gordon. She's praying for Gordon, a complete stranger whom she knows nothing about. Let's listen. Help me, God. Help me to comfort his loved ones. Help me to help the memory of Gordon live on in the hearts and minds of his loved ones. I only knew him a short while, God, but I think that I loved him, in a way. Dear God, I hope that Gordon is peaceful now. You know, it's interesting because Sarah, who I have actually, full disclosure, gotten to know over the last several years, she's been on the show several times for books and stuff. She's got a play on Broadway. Well, I don't know if it's on Broadway. It's in New York. Um, it, it might be off-Broadway. About Another play about death in the sense that it's about her friend, uh, a poet uh, who was a student of hers at Yale, a guy named Max Ritvo, and, it, and it, there's a, a she's written a play based on this book that she wrote of letters between the two of them. Right. So it's interesting that she's returning to that theme. So she, that, she writes about death a lot. It shows up in a lot of her plays. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is Laura uh, Malkus, who we just heard in Dead Man's Cell Phone. That's her play from 2007 at Phil's Point Quarter Theater. So to go back to quirkiness then, uh, Judy, um, how do the actors portray their, their quirky characters. I mean, are, are there physical quirks? How do they do it? There aren't any physical twitches or traits outwardly. These folks might seem quite normal. Um, in Gordon's case, he turns out to be an example of what Hannah Arendt, the famous political philosopher, called the banality of evil. 
Jean is the sort of person who goes unnoticed. She's kind of a wallflower. Under Kimberly Lynn's direction at Fells Point Corner, Laura Malkus, whom we just heard, plays Jean in a very understated way. She speaks in a small voice. She's mousy. She's sentimental. She's the opposite of worldly or sophisticated. She's what I would call eerily innocent, and that's certainly a quirky combination. On the spur of the moment, Jean decides it's her job to comfort Gordon's family, and she does this by telling them what she thinks they'd want to hear. This means making things up, and of course, that's just one small step away from lying. And she gets in way over her head simply because she believes, as she says, people are usually nice. But of course, some people, Gordon in particular, are very far from nice. Um, Gordon's mother and Gordon's widow and Gordon's mistress are very worldly, very sophisticated, very self-absorbed. His mother gets distracted and she swears in the middle of the eulogy she's giving for her son. Marianne Gazzola Angelello gives this aristocratic woman a really chilly, hard edge. Gordon's brother is the only decent member of this family, and he's played in a very gentle way by J. Purnell Hargrove. And really, no wonder he and Laura Malkus's gene sort of hit it off. So what about this this dead man and dead man's cell phone? Does he get to have his say? I mean, do, do, do we meet him in the audience, as the audience, uh, or do we just hear about him? What, what, how, how well do we get to know him? We do meet him. Gordon the Dead. He shows up at the start of the second act. He seems to be at the same cafe table he was at at the start of the play. But this is an otherworldly cafe, and the other world is definitely not heaven. Um, Gordon's played by Morgan Stanton. He has a very long monologue about his last day on earth and the very mundane things that he did, eating breakfast, taking the subway, deciding what he wants for lunch. That happens to be lobster bisque, by the way. And he explains what he does for a living in a similarly mundane tone. I'm not going to give that away. Let's just say he is a bottom feeder and he is merciless. He is remorseless. But he does talk in this monologue about morality and even about people's souls, although he admits that's just in hindsight. I brought a bit of that monologue. Let's listen. I get into the subway, a tomb for people's eyes. I believe that when people are in transit, their souls are not in their bodies. It takes a couple minutes to catch up. Walking, horseback. That's the speed at which a soul can stay in the body during travel. So airports and subway stations are very similar to hell. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people that won't disagree with that, that's for sure. Um, that's Morgan Stanton in Fells Point Corner Theater's production of Dead Man's Cell Phone. So, Judy, you mentioned that part of the play is set in this otherworldly place. How do they represent that on a stage at Fells Point Corner? Well, the set is basically the same in both acts. The walls angle back to a point. Uh, Brad Norris is the set designer, and he shrouds those walls in long panels of sheer white fabric. It's almost like the action is taking place in a cloud. Now, Jean may have her head in the clouds, but Gordon is a cold realist. He knows where he is. He knows how he got there. He knows why he's there. The set also includes these miniature houses. They're about four inches tall. They're made out of white paper. They were made by Brianna Seek. There's a textual reason for this. Jean tells Gordon's brother that she'd like to live in a little house made out of paper. 
I can kind of see this thematically. These little paper houses are flimsy, but they're also as fragile as relationships can be, or in the case of our title character, Gordon, as fragile as life itself. Oh, color color me metaphorical there. That's pretty good. <laughs> so, <clears throat> of course, cell phones are great. We all, we need them. We are, you know, uh, in, intractably uh, connected to them. But they can also, of course, be the bane of our existence. So in the end, does this play, Dead Man's Cell Phone, actually make a positive case for cell phones? That can be hard to do. Well, yes. Are cell phones heaven or are cell phones hell? And where will we find them? Um, I've never been a big fan of phones of any kind on stage. But of course, this play wouldn't have a plot if it weren't for a cell phone. Um, In fact, I once wrote an exercise for playwright Paula Vogel. Sarah Rule studied with her and so did I, though at different times. My exercise was a little play that was essentially about two cell phones talking to each other. You didn't need any people on stage. In Dead Man's Cell Phone, Jean says she keeps answering Gordon's phone because she feels like it's, quote, the only thing keeping him alive. Like as long as people called him, he would be alive. Do the dead live on not only in our memories but also in cyberspace? Can people's souls be redeemed in cyberspace? Dead Man's Cell Phone is haunting in many ways, and Fells Point Corner Theater's production brings that out. It sticks with you. All right. Dead Man's Cell Phone by Sarah Rule. It's at the Fells Point Corner Theater through the 12th of this month. So next week, Judy, we are going to talk about uh, a composer and a play that uh, you know quite well, a musical called Into the Woods by the great Stephen Sondheim. Where is that playing? That's at Kennedy Center. It recently closed on Broadway, and this production has most of the Broadway cast. I've already seen it, and I'm eager to tell our listeners about it. And I, I bet, I bet it's good. <laughs> I'm not giving anything away. Nothing away. All right, all right. That's fair enough. But you know, uh, you are uh, an aficionado of uh, Sondheim, to be sure. So it's always great to talk to you about that. Thanks so much. I look forward to it. See you then. Thank you, Tom. That's it for us today. Coming up Monday. Dr. Lena Wen will join me for another installment of the Midday Health Watch. And coming up now, our celebration of Women's History Month kicks off with a special special hour-long edition of Witness History from the BBC World Service. In Italy, we'll learn about the Wages for Housework campaign. We'll hear about the French sex workers who went on strike for fairer policing. And in Saudi Arabia, we'll meet the the women behind the campaign to win the right of women to drive cars. Plus, we'll talk about a walkout staged by Geisha in Japan. So that's coming up next here on 88.1 WYPR. Midday's director and engineer is Shania Mapson. Luke Spicknell is WYPR's director of operations. Taria Rogers, Rob Sivak, and Mallory Pinkard-Pierre produce our program. Austin Coglin from Clean Cuts wrote and recorded the midday theme music and we are grateful to him for that we are grateful to you for subscribing to our podcast for following us on twitter at midday wipr and for following me at tom hall wipr thanks so much for listening have a great weekend
You're listening to Your Public Radio, 88.1 WYPR.